welcome to another episode of The Extras. Uh, Lachlan here with Peter this week. G'day everyone. Thanks for joining us, Peter, and thanks for all your work in leading us through the book of Hebrews so far. I think we're up to week five or so. It's been good kind of getting into these early parts of Hebrews. On Sunday, we were just in the second half of chapter four, first half of chapter five. Give us the window summary. What did we see on Sunday? Yeah, well, Hebrews is bringing us back to this idea that Jesus is a great high priest. We met this idea a bit earlier on in chapter 2 and chapter 3, mm. but didn't really get into it properly. This is where we start to really dig into it and find out what it means. So we sort of, uh, at least I touched on the idea that we might not necessarily think we've got much need for a yeah. priest. Priests yeah. are not popular people in our world at the moment. But what Jesus does for us is so wonderful. Hebrews points out that Jesus has this lived experience of obedience, of being a human being who's tested and has to struggle, but obeys God through it all. And so when we come to Jesus, he gets us. Mm. He gets how we struggle and he can sympathize with us. He can help us. Yeah, that's good. It was, I found it so helpful that you raised that question. Why do we need a priest? Uh, I think that's a helpful question. We're not necessarily too familiar with priests these days so it was a good way to understand a bit more of this text uh i was thinking though peter you talked about tv shows and priests there was a whole thing about the hot priest in the last few years of tv i don't know if you've picked up on that thread and that theme fleabag apparently is the one that i didn't watch it myself somebody somebody at early morning church said to me oh father brown is very nice but i've not watched that either yes yes there are a few around but Jesus is a great high priest. And we've had a few questions uh, that are trying to wrestle with this theme, wrestle with Hebrews. Uh, Let's go back to the Old Testament first, because we're familiar with the idea that the Old Testament prepares us for Jesus, prepares Mm. us to see and understand him. Uh, Does the Old Testament ever look ahead at, say, the Messiah coming as a priest? Or Yeah, what's the foretelling or foreshadowing in the Old Testament for this priest to come? Yeah, well, it does. And in fact, um, our chapter, last week's chapter, points us to that. So Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 6 says, uh, he says in another place, this is God saying in a psalm, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now that's quoted out of Psalm 110. And the context of that, Psalm 110 verse 1, makes it pretty clear it's talking about the Messiah. So Psalm 110 verse 1, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Talking about the Messiah and the first Christians were quick to jump on that and say, well, that's what the Lord said to Jesus when he uh, raised him from the dead Mm. and and seated him at his right hand to rule. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool Mm. for your feet. Mm. So this psalm is about the Messiah. Mm. And then it goes on a little bit later on. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You... My Lord, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And so Hebrews picks up on this Old Testament psalm, talking about the Messiah as a priest forever, and starts to dig into that. Nice. Yeah, helpful. Uh, Still sticking into the Old Testament there. So we've got in Psalm 110 this pointing forward, a Messiah that will come as a priest. We talked about priests, and part of the need for a priest is providing access to God. mediating the way, allowing us to come and approach God. Someone's followed our encouragement from January and they've been reading their Psalms, Psalm a day since January. Oh, well done. Yeah, it's encouraging to see that. Uh, 
they're wondering, you know, David seems to feel a free access to come to God. Uh, it doesn't seem like he's always necessarily coming through the Levitical offerings or the priests there. So how do we make sense of David's confidence? Is he right in the way that he's approaching God there in the Psalms? Is he going through those Levitical priests? What, what do we make of all of that? Yeah, I mean, I think in a sense he is. So he's praying to God. Uh, you know, he, he, he's praying to God saying these Psalms, these songs, their prayers. Um, but their prayers offered within the context of a covenantal relationship. Mm. So God has established a relationship with Israel. And David is an Israelite. And God has said, I'll be your God and you will be my people. And as a part of maintaining that covenant, it involves the continual offering of sacrifices for sins through the Levitical priesthood. And that's how, um, within this relationship, Israel's sin is, uh, perhaps we'd say, managed um, so that mm. their sin doesn't burst that relationship apart and exclude them from God, exclude them from access to him. So you could sort of say, well, you know, David hasn't got to collar a priest and kind of talk to God through the priest. But in a sense... His prayers are offered from within this context of the covenantal life of Israel. Mm. And a part of that is the kind of ongoing work of providing sacrifices for sins, which God has organized and ordained and put in place for his people. Mm. Yeah, that's, that is helpful. I think we see in some of the Psalms, David referring to those sacrifices as well and kind of acknowledging that that is the framework that is operating in. Mm. I can't point you to a particular one off the top of my head there, but I can think of moments where the Psalms would speak in that way. Uh, and I look ahead to later in Hebrews, where we'll pick up on more of the way that Jesus has kind of um, superseded those sacrifices in chapters 8 and 9 of Hebrews. So maybe some more to hit on when we get there. Yeah, I think um, I think in, in the, this question was asked, there's a bit of a reference to, to speaking to God directly uh, and I think that's actually uh, we shouldn't really think of David as praying directly to God mm. even as he writes those psalms he, he addresses God certainly but it's from within the context mm. you know, mediated by this covenant mm. um, and nor should we actually think of Christians as praying directly to God mm. so you know I don't say hey God it's me Peter can you do some stuff for me um, I pray in the name of Jesus. Mm. Um, it's only in the name of the Son uh, who loved me and has made provision mm. for my sin. It's mm. through the mediation of his mm. work, uh, he who's cleansed me and bought me and poured out his spirit on mm. me. I approach him not in, approach God not in my name, but in Jesus' name. So I would say nobody prays to God directly, including Christians. Yeah, okay. Yeah, helpful clarification there. Uh Let's think about Jesus as a priest some more here. Someone's asked, did Jesus ever refer to himself as a priest in his life that we see in the Gospels? Do we have any reference there? Great question. And I had to go and scout around a bit. I think the answer is no. Yeah. Okay. Is that okay? Is that okay? <laughs> yeah. Well, is it okay for... I'm not going to tell Jesus he did the right thing, <laughs> if that's what you're asking. <laughs> but perhaps we might sort of say, well, if Hebrews make such a big deal about mm. Jesus being a priest... Mm then what gives if Jesus didn't talk about himself mm, as a mm, priest? Mm. Now, I think we want to say that what we can observe is that in all of the epistles that we have in the New Testament, these are the products of later reflection and thought on who Jesus is and 
what he did and what mm. it means. Mm. And we can see that amongst these apostles, that God blessed them over time with a deepening understanding of Jesus, especially as they read the Old Testament and came to realize just how much mm. it helped them to see and to understand what Jesus was doing. Mm. And so I think what we have in Hebrews, though Jesus never describes himself as a priest, it's clear to the author of the Hebrews, this inspired apostle, as he reads the Old Testament and reads about things like the Day of Atonement, the day that God provided mm. blood to deal with the sins of the people so that they could remain in a relationship with him deal with their sin it's clear to him he reads that and he thinks well that's what jesus did mm, mm. and we we are able to discern now well that's a thought that's from god mm. because that's a thought that ends up included in scripture through god's power that's a thought that was so so much of god so much inspired god by god that actually it's helpful and even essential for all God's people for all time to be able to think that thought along with that apostle mm. that what Jesus does is like what a priest does that's so helpful for us yeah. in understanding him so is it right yeah absolutely that's why God put it in the Bible for us yeah yeah that's great um so much that we could probe into because Jesus is just amazing and there's so much in the Old Testament that the color of all of God's plan pointing forward to give us a depth of understanding about Jesus. Mm. And uh, I was encouraged by the next little chunk of Hebrews that, you know, we've got to press on to understand all of those depths, uh, keep moving on to understand the fullness of the riches of who Jesus is as prophet, priest, and king, mm. uh, the one who came as the greater Moses speaking the words of God and the greater priest here as well. Lots that's there. So thanks for sharing your thoughts on that. Um, Hebrews 5 verse 5 talks about Jesus becoming God's son. Is that, uh, isn't Jesus always God's son? Why is it this moment where God seems to become the father of Jesus? Yeah, that's a, it's a good question. Um, so we, we read this and it's uh, God, it says, God said to him, God said to Jesus, Hebrews chapter 5 verse 5, God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Now, we'll see in our Bibles that's in quotation marks because it's a quote from Psalm 2. So what's going on here is Psalm 2 has been applied to Jesus, or it's been saying, like, really, this is actually something that finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. Now, we have to ask, well, in what sense are these words true of Jesus? There might be different ways we could understand them to be true of Jesus. Now, in the early church, uh, they had to ask the question, was God's son uh, later than God? Was there God in the beginning? Mm. And then after some period of time, maybe a mm. short period of time, but some period, uh, did the son come later? So was there a time when the son was not? So there was no son and then mm. there was mm. a son. Um, now, this is what we now know as the Arian heresy because after kind of floating this idea, and lots and lots of intense theological discussion, it was decided or, or, or really realized that actually that totally explodes the gospel. It doesn't make any sense mm. uh, of the Bible or the gospel to think of Jesus as being kind of 
subsequent to God, less than God. That's just not how the Bible talks. The, the Bible uh, talks about all things being made through him. So mm. he's, he's there, you know. And so now we say in our creed, he's begotten, not made. As a way of saying, no, no, he didn't sort of become son mm. later on. Uh, he was eternally begotten of the Father. Um, what does that mean exactly? Tricky to say, but it doesn't. It means that there never was a time there was no Jesus. He wasn't made later on. So mm. was Jesus always God's son? Uh, or was the Son of God uh, co-eternal with the Father, we might say? Yes. Um, so on that level of God and God's being, we have to say yes. Um, perhaps we won't go into detail, but you know, similarly, again, in church history, there had to be the discussion, well, was the man Jesus just kind of a regular dude for a while? Mm. But then there was a moment maybe when at his baptism, maybe the mm. Spirit came down on him, mm. and then he was God's Son after that. Mm. And... Again, after a process of reflection, uh, people realise, well, no, that's that's not the right way to think of it. Jesus is begotten by the Spirit. Mm. And in fact, he, he is the Son of God um, in all of his human existence. So, uh, is Jesus always God's Son? Yeah, he is. Great, great. Good to be clear on that. Because, yeah, like you say, the early church has wrestled with this to help us know how to worship God properly. And part of that is worshipping Jesus and recognising that's actually the right way to worship mm. God. Yeah, and knowing that when we come to Jesus, we're not sort of dealing with the deputy. Mm. Um, we're not dealing with middle management who has a mm. bit of an idea about mm. what goes on on the top floor but doesn't mm. know everything. Uh, when we meet Jesus, we meet God himself and nothing less than that. Yeah, which Hebrews 1, right back in that first week, was so helpful in highlighting for us as well. Um this flows into another question that came through. If Jesus is our sympathetic high priest and representative, should we pray to Jesus instead of praying to God? We've already answered this a little bit, but do you want to speak to that question? Yeah, so it's, I guess it's worth picking out that if we're saying uh, Jesus instead of God, if we think about Jesus as not God or not quite God, uh, we're barking up the wrong tree there. We mm. need to be saying, well, Jesus is God in all God's fullness. Mm. So... Jesus is, is, is no less than God. So the idea of praying to Jesus instead of God, um, we could say, should we pray to Jesus instead of the Father? That's a, that's a fine question to ask. Mm. But there is, we are making a mistake if we're thinking about Jesus and God as not yeah. quite the same. Yeah. Um, now, should we pray to Jesus? Uh, we can. Stephen does. Mm. Um, he, uh, Stephen prays to Jesus in, in Acts chapter 7. Um, but the, the, the pattern really um, of, of Christian prayer is to pray uh, to the Father, through the Son, in the Spirit. This is why when we pray, we often say, in Jesus' name, like we talked about before. Um, so uh, Jesus teaches us to call on his Father in his name. Mm. Yeah, we see that pattern. We've been praying a little bit across the last few services, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught us to pray to the Father. It's one of the places where we see that model. I found it really helpful reading a book by Tim Chester on relating to God in Trinity called mm. Enjoying God. I'm pretty sure I can see the cover. It's a pink one. Uh, is it called Enjoying God? Yes. There we go. Uh, Peter's just pulled it off his shelf here. So we, we've got it in front of us. I always keep it close at hand. It's a good book. Yeah. And he talks about this nature of prayer and just the, the distinction of the relationships that we have with each person. Uh, of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. So that could be a good book to 
get a handle on. Um, maybe I'll use this as a moment to... You, you can give me some feedback here on this, Peter. One of the things I hear some people pray sometimes, and I've got to confess it bugs me when I hear it, is they'll pray to God and then they'll conclude by saying, in your name. Now, should that bug me? Is that... what? Have you noticed that one? I haven't, I haven't noticed it. Maybe I'm less theologically astute <laughs> than you, Lachlan. Yeah, tell me about your issue with in your name. I think like you have been mentioning it, it to me it, it kind of flattens out the nice distinction of saying we are coming to the Father through the Son and that recognition that actually on our own standing we have no rightful place before the Father. So we need this work of Jesus as the priest. So it's not in the Father's name that we're coming to the Father, but we're coming to the Father in the name of his Son who has opened up that access for us. So that's that's what's on my mind as I hear it. Um, anyway, I yeah might be an unusual little bugbear there, but it's one that I've noticed a little bit more in recent years. Hmm. Well, I think it's um, I think we can probably say, as with you know, in the New Testament, we, we get that thing where Stephen prays to mm. Jesus. That's a bit of an anomaly, but um, you know, he I don't think he blots his copybook when he does it. He's all right. <laughs> Um, the, the, you know, the Father will hear us when we offer our prayers to Him. Yes. He's gracious and kind and uh, sympathises with us in our weaknesses. We might want to say it's a, it's a helpful and a healthy habit to actually think about the Trinitarian form of prayer, mm. praying to the mm. Father, through the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Uh, and we miss some of the goodness that's available to us uh, if we um, settle for some other substitute. Mm. Mm. Thanks for your gentle encouragement there, Peter, to not get bugged as much. <laughs> Very helpful. Uh, another question here. Let's keep moving. If Jesus faced every temptation, so that's what's said in chapter 4 of Hebrews, uh, verse 15. We have someone who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Um, but if he didn't sin, so he's tempted but he didn't sin, how can he fully empathize with us? Because we're tempted and we do sin. So there seems to be... a difference there how can jesus empathize if he never sinned yeah well I, I, hebrews is stressing that jesus uh has been subjected to temptation so that's the main point that looking to make so um the experience of of being a human being um with the weaknesses inherent in being a human being so we talked about um things like uh being scared hungry tired you know, that have mm, to do with our mm. human limitations jesus inhabits all of those as, mm. as we do um and has to face temptation under those conditions so he faces temptation as a human being so uh in that sense he he empathizes um it's really good news that jesus d doesn't identify with the experience of sinning that's great news much much better for us that Jesus can't identify with sinning mm. than if he can identify with it. Because Jesus, yet he did not sin, Hebrews says. This is the very important qualification that Hebrews insists we have to make. He faces strenuous testing, but doesn't sin. And so he can identify with being tested and tempted. He can't identify with caving in mm. and uh, and and and. Um, you know, having sinful desire and going with it. Uh, and this is why he can offer, Hebrews goes on to say, the spotless sacrifice mm. that deals with sin. He can offer himself unblemished to God for our sins. So Jesus 
identifies with us in the sense that bearing the righteous wrath of God for every time we've caved to temptation and sinned, he stands as a sinner on the cross under God's wrath, Mm. though he himself has committed no sin. So in that sense, his identification with us, he doesn't identify as one who himself has done wrong, but he bears the sin of the world and God's wrath upon it and identifies with us in that way, which is powerful mm. and effective in the se- in a way that Jesus simply becoming another sinner is nothing, mm. nothing like. Mm. What Jesus actually did in the gospel is, is so, so much better. Mm. Yeah, nice. Thank you. We've got a couple more here. Um, we've talked already a little bit about Melchizedek in reference to Psalm 110. Who Who is Melchizedek? Why is Jesus a priest in his order? Uh, is Melchizedek Jesus in the Old Testament? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so we, uh, in my sermon on Sunday, I elected not to talk about this because there's um, a heavy dose of Melchizedek is coming mm, up mm. in Hebrews in chapter 7 particularly. So um, didn't talk about it too much on Sunday. But Melchizedek is just a guy in who pops up really just for a, a tiny little cameo in the Old Testament in, in Genesis, mm. in Genesis chapter 14. Is it 14? That sounds right. Yeah. One, plus or minus one. I'll have a look while you keep talking. 14, I think. Anyway, so he just pops up and um, then kind of goes dark until that part that we read earlier, Psalm 110, right? Um, so Melchizedek is a, is a priest guy from Genesis, from... Um, from chapter 14. Chapter 14, very nice, um, who meets Abraham. Um, he's not Jesus. He lived thousands of years before Jesus. He's not Jesus. Only Jesus is Jesus. Um, why is Jesus a member of his order? Stay tuned. Uh, Hebrews has got plenty to say about that. Nice. Thank you. Uh, Hebrews does introduce these things, doesn't it, and then come back to them later on as it builds its argument to highlight Jesus for us. Well, we've got a couple of questions now that uh, will help us, I think, in the application of this passage. Someone's asked if Jesus is our high priest and he's also, according to Matthew 23, our teacher, um, then why do we need pastors? What are you and I doing here if... You know, we're not priests for people. We're not teachers for people. Are we really necessary? Yeah, what a good question. Why do we need pastors? Yeah. Are you asking me back? You... Sure. <laughs> um, well, look, I'd go to Ephesians 4. I think that's a helpful place that unpacks the gifts that God has given the church. Uh, but as I go there, I'd also say um, that there is a helpful critique here of some elements of Christian community that have uh, continued to see a place for some of these priestly activities and not necessarily given Jesus the fullness of this priestly role. Mm. So I think, you know, within the Roman Catholic Church, uh, there is still a sense in which priests are called priests and they're taking on some of these Levitical type activities of mediating between humanity and God. And I want to say that's that's not what we're here for as pastors. Jesus is pretty strong in condemning and critiquing that. And Hebrews shows us why we don't need that mm. anymore. So, yeah, we're, we're not priests and we ought not be called priests and we're not mediating between man and God. We're not offering sacrifices. For example, no. when we share the Lord's Supper, we're not priests making sacrifices. Uh, one of the priestly duties, that of teaching, um, 
the New Testament would say is something we all share as Christians, and so not something that's unique to pastors either. But uh, the New Testament in 1 Peter would say we're a kingdom of priests, and all of us have become priests now in that function of sharing God's word and communicating the word of God to one another. So there are some of the ways that pastors are not priests anymore. Um, you still want me to keep going, Peter, or are you jumping in yet here? Yeah, well, maybe I just will pick up on that idea. So I think it's so helpful to point out that pastors don't have that medi- mediatorial role. Um, and, you know, sometimes I think we have this in the sense that maybe if the pastor prays for me, mm. like that, that's really going to work, or mm. I, I don't feel good to pray about this, but, but could you pray about it for me? Mm. Um, yeah, love to pray for you. But as a brother, you know, God's not yeah. going to listen to me any more yeah. than he listens to you. Um, uh, I, I, and maybe I think on the idea that Jesus is the church's teacher, I think we would have to affirm that. Yes, uh, you know, he, he is ultimately our only teacher. Um, don't call people rabbi because you've got one teacher. Yeah. Um, that's right. But Jesus uh, gives teachers to teach what he has taught, uh, teachers under his ultimate authority as the church's one teacher. There is a teaching office in the church. Jesus uh, appoints people to do his work through his spirit, uh, like it says, for example, in Ephesians 4. Yeah, flip that open. It's worth reading out. Ephesians 4 verse 11. Uh, He himself, the risen and ascended Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. So the pastor there is a gift of Christ to his church to equip all of the saints, to equip the church to build one another up. So there is a a function there that doesn't make the pastor a special category of super-Christian or anything like that, uh, but just a particular function of uh, equipping. Mm. The function that the pastor doesn't have is the function of a priest because mm. Jesus is our one mm. high priest. Yeah, that's great. I hope that's been helpful for the person who asked that one. Uh, last question for you, Peter. Um, Hebrews encourages us to boldly come towards God through Jesus. Sometimes we might lack that boldness and confidence person has asked, why, why do I occasionally lack confidence in approaching Jesus when people so easily let us down? Mm. Yeah, I, it, um, I, mean, I want to say thank you to that person for asking that question. I'm sorry to hear that you feel you sometimes lack confidence in approaching Jesus. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not totally clear on you know, how, how that works. What is it about people letting us down? Um, Perhaps this question, you know, we all experience often that people let us down and that can sort of, uh, well, often some of us more often than others, Mm. Um, particularly if we've been badly let down by someone who ought to have been in a position where they cared for and helped Mm. us, that's what they were there Mm. for, Mm. but they were um, aloof or uninterested or disengaged or something like that. Um, Our confidence in others can be badly shaken. We can have the sense perhaps that we're not the kind of person who deserves or can expect help. Some of us have that kind of a thing in our in our background, mm. um, and if if that's the case, that's, that that is a you know that's a that's a sad thing. However, 
the picture that we have of Jesus is that he is a faithful high priest. Mm. Um, Hebrews points out to us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, and today, and forever. And not only does it mean that he's God who doesn't change, it does mean that, but it means he acts the same way. It means that if he said yesterday that we can come to him for grace to find help, we can expect that to be the case today. Mm. We can expect it to be the case forever. Jesus is consistent. Uh, consistent in being a merciful and a faithful high priest for us. And we can have confidence in him, no matter how badly other mm. human beings mm. have dented our confidence. This man will not let us down. Mm. He always lives to intercede for us and that's why he can save to the uttermost people who draw near to god mm, through him because mm. he's always there he's always the same he's always good mm. yeah he's wonderful isn't he i love jesus uh and that reminder that he's the same means that we can come back to the gospels and see his character and relating to people there and i i think i reflect that i can't think of a moment in the gospels where jesus let someone down um He's gentle, he's approachable, uh, even perhaps when his own disciples weren't as approachable. You know, he would correct them and let people be welcomed. He would welcome them in and gently forgive and love and speak what is needed to them. Uh, that's the same Jesus that we come to now. Mm. Um, so it's wonderful to meet Jesus in the Gospels and know that he hasn't changed. That's right, yeah. I mean, he, he, he says, uh, come to me, mm. although weary, burdened mm. uh, and I will give you rest mm. so he says come and he's got something he's going to give you yeah. so come to him yeah. and he will yeah amen amen Peter thanks for your time thanks for all that you're doing to lead us through the book of Hebrews uh, where are we headed this Sunday next bit of Hebrews this Sunday um, and it's a good part of God's word it's a part of God's word we need it's a confronting mm. word Hebrews uh, mixes together deep and rich talk about Jesus, um, inspiring encouragement and strong, severe warnings. And that's mm. what we've got this week. We've got a, a serious warning coming up mixed in with some also strong encouragement. So we'll find a challenging time as we come to church next Sunday, but it's a word from God uh, given to us to hear and to heed so that we keep on holding fast. Wonderful. Look forward to it. We'll see you then. All right. Bye, everyone.